Welcome to Unapologetic, a podcast of Embrace Ministries, where we take a biblical approach to culture's difficult questions. Well, we are delighted to have you guys back with us on Unapologetic, a podcast of Embrace Ministries in Forest, Mississippi. And I am joined in the studio slash Eli's office with Eli Bowles and Ellis Bowles. Ellis Bowles is our technician today, and Eli is the brain of today's operation. The brain, oh boy. The big brain. No pressure there. Well, my brain is rent already today <laughs> on a Monday. We record these podcasts on Monday, and Monday's normally our, our meeting day, but it has been office open door, revolving door bombardment. Uh, good good things, good things happening, trying to meet the needs of the community and minister to people in need, and that's always a good thing, uh, but it can be a little bit overwhelming and stressful at times. That's and right. So, but we are protecting peace, and I'm trying to get my mind settled today, because we've got a pretty big topic today. Right, yeah, a topic that is um, probably affected your church, if you're listening to this, uh, whether you know it or not. Um, it has probably affected the leadership of your church and some decisions that they've made. I know that many of my worship leader friends and pastor friends have asked me uh, my opinion on this topic, and so it has affected them in the way that they're leading the church. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a big deal. Absolutely. And so today's today's thing is: Are we we're, we're talking about something newsworthy, right? No, today has changed my mind. Today's changed my mind. Okay, my bad. Changed my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> I told I told you where my mental state was to begin with. So changed my mind, and so the the change my mind topic of the day revolves around what we used to call years ago, twenty years ago, when I was in youth ministry, uh, the worship wars. So it, 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 it really involves uh, how do we worship with what should we worship with. Uh, it's more than just hymns or words off the wall. Now it's going into thoughts of theology, which I think is a good place for us as a Christian community to get, making sure that what we sing is something that would be theologically sound. But Eli, one thing that I've recognized in different camps or tribes, however you want to put it, different groups of Christians, and we group ourselves. I mean, we humans are going to group ourselves into some category or another. Right. I mean, I'm a Saints fan. Are you a Dallas fan? I mean, it, right. it goes into everything, you know? And so... um I, I think there are camps of Christians who look at worship music. Now, when we're talking about worship, this is a very broad thing. It's more than just songs. Right. It is the proclamation of God's word. It is service to the Lord. Worship includes an awful lot of, of different, uh, as far as its spectrum is concerned. But today we're talking about specifically singing songs of worship. Mm-hmm. And Congregationally. So, Congregationally, yeah, not not independently, because I don't think there's too many people who have an issue with listening or singing along with Caleb as they ride down the road. Right. And if you don't like the song, whether it's preference or theology or whatever it is, you don't like the specific artist, then you just change the channel. That's right. But when you're collectively worshiping and there is a worship team who has selected certain songs to sing or there is a music director, just depending on what church you go to, uh, that has selected the hymns, um, you can't change the channel. 
you can sit there with your arms crossed and, and saw, saw up if you want to reject the song that way. And I know lots of people who do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or, or you can get on the same page with it. But so the different groups I think that are out there are, um, is this theologically sound and that's their number one filtering source. Is right. it theologically sound others? Is it something that people can worship along to? Right. Is this a song that is directed to God, or is this a song directed to one another for the purpose of encouragement? How do we define the difference between praise songs and encouragement songs, praise being directly to God, encouragement being a song that we sing about God that has blessed us, and we encourage others that listen along or sing along with us? Um, Then you falter from that into, are we going to sing contemporary worship songs, like He's a Man of His Word? by Maverick City, or are we going to stick with some Charles Wesley songs or, uh, you know, um, John Newton with Amazing Grace. Isn't that who wrote Amazing Isaac Grace? Newton? No, no. no Isaac. not Isaac Newton. No, it's not Isaac. I think it's John. Uh, but anyway, so some, some of the songs that was written in the 1700s, you know, 1800s, or if we want to get a little bit wild, uh, some of the, some of the, the Keith Green songs, in the 70s, or maybe Whoa. even Bill Gaither, Whoa. who wrote some songs in the Heavenly Highway hymns. Yeah. And so, I mean, so it's there's there's a different thought of style. There's a different thought of substance. Right. And these are all things that a worship leader considers or should consider as they're preparing uh, a song selection for any given Sunday. You should, mm-hmm. you should consider songs of adoration that just talk about how good God is and how just and faithful he is. You can consider songs of testimony that are fit for your church. You know, some songs of testimony might work for this church, might not work for this church. Mm-hmm. And so consider what resonates with your people and what prompts them to worship. A uh, worship leader could, should consider what key you're singing a song in and is it... Um, singable for the congregation. And so things like this are going through the mind of a worship leader as they prepare their set list. Um, But I think that the big question right now is, can I sing this song because it's associated with so-and-so church? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I sing this song because it's associated with so-and-so's theology? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the topic that we want to hit today. Yeah. You know, if if you are tapped into a, a deep root of Christian culture, you might have been listening to a uh, Christianity Today podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Right. The latest one they put out was dealing with the music of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, in particular, a group that came out of that, which was King's Kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. Um, in the original... Um, in the original podcast of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, uh, the song that has actually been played in Super Bowls now, commercials and Super Bowls, um, the original song, Sticks and Stones, that mm-hmm. is the opening uh, to the podcast, uh, they interviewed the lead guy in that, Chris, and I can't remember his last name right now, but uh, they, they interviewed him talking about some of the substance. I, I, I think... Um, in in the podcast, this is this is where the train of thought is going for me. Um, in the podcast, as as they're interviewing this guy, um, Mark Driscoll's ultimate desire was to sing songs that originated with their praise teams only. Right, and so their praise teams were writing songs 
and their parallel thought process to that was your preacher wouldn't preach somebody else's sermon. Why would you expect the praise team to sing somebody else's song? Right. You listen to that podcast. I did. Right? I was, and as I was listening to that podcast, the thing that stood out the most to me was how a church's worship culture has such an impact on the growth mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, who comes to the church. Yeah. Um, so yeah. depending on what style and what sort of songs you sing, mm-hmm. you know, it determines how your church grows, who your church pulls in, mm-hmm. all those kind of things. Absolutely. Years ago in the 1800s, 1850s, a little later than that, Charles Spurgeon, uh, who is noted as the Prince of Preachers, just a, a magnificent man of God who would proclaim the truth of God's word in unique ways and people would flock to Christ as a result of it. I mean, he just had the gift of evangelism. Uh, but he, in teaching lectures to his students, and this is a book in book form, you can actually get this. I've read through them before. Uh, but he said that uh, your audience, the congregation, will remember a story long after they've forgotten the sermon. Right. Well, that was in the 1850s. I would say that today people would remember a song long after they've forgotten your sermon. Yeah. Uh, because music is so important. And it's not that all of a sudden music has gotten important. Music has been important from way before the world was created. Lucifer was created, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, as an angel with an organ inside of his voice. He had a, he had, he had the, the ability to sing with such grace and, and, and such beauty. And he fell with pride. I believe that music is such an influential thing because God intended it to be an influential thing that if it's used wrongly, it can influence to the wrong really bad or used positively, it can be influenced to the positive really good. And so that's the reason that I think music is such an opinionated topic. Mm -hmm. So um, when we talk about what kind of music we should sing, we're talking about what influence does it come from, right? I mean, that's where we're going today. Right. Right. And so the, the question is, and change my mind, should we or should we not sing songs that originate from cultures like? Like um, Hillsong or Bethel Church or Elevation Church. Uh, I don't think that you really have to be plugged into um, church culture to necessarily know what's been going on lately mm-hmm. with Hillsong and a lot of alleged affairs and then mm-hmm. with Bethel and um, some theology coming out that just seems kind of way out there, like trying to raise from the dead a little girl who passed. Mm-hmm. And so things like that, because these churches are getting you know big media coverage for things like this, mm-hmm. should we sing What a Beautiful Name that was written by Hillsong? You yeah. know, should we should we sing Jesus We Love You mm-hmm. that was written by Bethel? Should we sing these songs? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of churches have been asking that question. A lot of leaders have been asking that question. And I think this is this is a part of the problem. Uh, God always uses a key figure man in a great movement, um, and and I think sometimes we 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 inspect that man to the nth degree, and anytime you put a man under the microscope, you will find many, many flaws. Um, more than flaws, you will find sin. Yeah. Because we are we are prone to sin, prone to wonder. Uh, God, I feel it. That's a him. <laughs> but um, take Charles Finney for example. Charles Finney was a great man of God who God used in miraculous ways. Do I uh, do I? 
um, have a mental ascent to every doctrine that he agreed with. I don't agree with every doctrine he agreed with. As a matter of fact, he's kind of the father of the, the modern altar cult. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Spurgeon was a five-point Calvinist who told his friends who questioned his Calvinism, uh, and his response was, you are a Calvinist on four points of the compass. I am every in between. Yeah. Um, is Andy Bowles a Calvinist? No, he's not. But do I agree with a lot of what Charles Spurgeon did? Absolutely, I do. Right. You know, so, I mean, do, do you, as a matter of fact, I know a lot of Baptists who sing Methodist hymns. Yeah. Charles Wesley was not a Baptist, and yet we sing those hymns in our Baptist churches. So you you have to differentiate between a song and and the person or the identity in which it comes out of. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I think if if I'm afraid if you're not careful, you'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. For you, you're the you're the lead guy here as far as worship musically is concerned. What is what do you what do you think about singing Jesus, we love you? Uh, yeah, knowing well, that Bethel is laying on top of graves, asking God to give them anointings of the previous people that had died on the graves. You yeah. know. Well, my my personal take um, from the beginning, from from when I first started really getting into um, church culture and, and worship culture, and wanting to know more about what is going on as far as worship is concerned throughout the the country throughout the world um i knew about bethel music long before i knew about bethel church mm-hmm. i knew about hillsong worship long before i knew about hillsong church mm-hmm. and so in my mind they've always been separate and you throw things. elevation in there right, as well right elevation worship yeah. I knew that knew them before i knew elevation mm-hmm. church and so um in my mind I can see them as two separate things. Now, I realized that Stephen Furtick, the pastor of Elevation, helps write some of Elevation's songs. Mm-hmm. And so I know that they're connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, as far as organizations are concerned, I've always kind of seen them separately. Um, but for people who can't get past that, I think that it is really tragic to see um, their mind beginning to work the same way that the world's mind has worked the past few years, which is Mm -hmm. cancel culture, Mm -hmm. which is anytime somebody says something or does something you disagree with, cancel everything. Mm -hmm. And it's it's sad to see that happening in in worship culture whenever we're called to be people of grace. Mm -hmm. We should have a culture of grace, not a cancel culture. Mm -hmm. My mind goes to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we look at these organizations where you have pastors who are um, you know, tempted and they get caught in affairs or pastors who are teaching this doctrine, that isn't really, they're not intentionally teaching their own doctrine. They're teaching what they were taught. Mm-hmm. They're teaching what they've learned to be true, what they yeah. believe to be true, um, not intentionally leading people astray. As long as the gospel is the same, then what are we really worried about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and you know, t- talking about the intentionality of it, it, some people do intentionally teach the wrong thing because they have the wrong motives. Right. Right. Um, but usually, if there is a person. Uh, that is within the realms of Christianity, and they have a strong accountability platform. They've got a peer group who's listening and watching them, 
and and not just externally from the stage in their teaching or preaching, but behind the scenes, asking them the difficult questions where there can be open, honest confession, because that's really the spirit of Galatians 6.1, right? Right. Um, then that person has more of an opportunity if something is done unintentionally, then it can be corrected. <clears throat> There's been times to where I preach something, and I was like, I didn't realize the way it was worded right. led somebody down a wrong thought process. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I had to be corrected. So the next service I got up and said, hey, guys, remember when I said this? This is what I meant. I didn't mean to take anybody's thought that direction because that's not what I meant. Or there was times where I just had to say, hey, guys, I blew that. I was totally wrong. This is what the Bible says. Forgive me. I've done that, I've done that before. Right. And, and you know, but it all is with the heart, right? I mean, what's right. what's the idea of the heart? So were there, and I, I'm, I'm piggybacking on what you're saying, Eli, mm-hmm. but the, the culture of Hillsong Elevation, Bethel, if they're trained up to believe this certain thought process, then, you know, be not many masters for in doing so, you'll heap upon yourself a greater condemnation. James 3, 1, is it is it really their fault or is it their, their leader's fault or their teacher's fault? Right. Right, and I think that what you're hitting on as far as wording is concerned is a huge deal when it comes to music because you as a pastor leading Embrace Church, you can get up one Sunday, preach a sermon, listen back to it and say, that was worded weird, and then the next Sunday you have a chance to say, hey, that was worded weird, I meant this. A person who writes a song, you know, how to, what, is their, what is their platform? Yeah. What, what, what they have to say about their song will never be as big as the, their song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, music is so mo- so poetic, mm-hmm. and it, it needs to be interpreted. Uh, you, you're never probably never going to interpret the song the way that the person who was writing it meant it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you you know, this is just a fact of life. You could take, um, in college, I had two, two English professors who disagreed on the meaning behind one of Edgar Allan Poe's poems. And so... Um, they openly disagree with each other. It's the same poem, but they read it and understood it differently, mm-hmm. right? And so music in the same way is so poetic. And so you look at these lyrics, and I actually would like to it's read a couple of the reasons we have so many uh, denominations is because right. Christians read the Bible and come away with a different conclusion, and then they form their different camps or, or tribes. Right, and so I want to read a couple of lyrics that would come across uh, weird, uh, but you made a good point about this earlier. And so I'm going to read some lyrics from the song Move Your Heart by Maverick City in Upper Room. Mm-hmm. And this was some spontaneous th- stuff that happened. And they included it in the recording um, to where he sings, uh, Dante Bo sings, to the one who hasn't prayed in a while, you blow him away, saying you, you blow God away. And then he says, you that just got the divorce, you blow him away. And so those are some lyrics that have been taken um, harshly by some people, wrongly by some people. And then there's a song like So Will I by Hillsong that says, as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. And so, of course, you've got Christians who hate the thought of evolution and they're, they're so against that. And so you made a really good point earlier about that. Yeah, and, and, and pre-show as we were discussing through this, uh, you got to be very careful um, Understanding what is a phrase that can be interpreted, reinterpreted, understood, defined within a culture, blow you away. Right. I mean, if you're in the military and you hear blow you away, if you're in a, 
if you're getting held up and you hear the guy say, I'm fixing to blow you away, right. it's a whole lot different than if your girlfriend or your wife or your husband or your boyfriend says, I'm fixing to blow you away. You right. know? So there's, there's license with those types of phrases that are so metaphorical or so symbolic or poetic. I mean, it can mean something different. It's, it's not as mainstreamly defined as the word evolution. Whereas in the other song, when you say evolution, everybody, or just about everybody in the world, no matter what culture you're in, that nation you're in, the, the word would be more mainline thought processed in Darwinism. And so evolution, and, and in particular to Hillsong, Hillsong originates from Australia. Uh, there is uh, just, just right outside Australia, a little place called New Zealand, and uh, there is a seminary in New Zealand that actually teaches that in Genesis chapter one, uh, when it uses the word fray or when it uses the word made, uh, phrases that it's talking about evolution as opposed to creation in certain extents. Right. So, I mean, they 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 actually may have intended for us to have the thought process that out of the ground came the beast and it evolved from the dirt germ to whatever mm-hmm. you know but there, there are certain words that you know obviously if somebody sang a song that says jesus didn't die right that's an issue <laughs> that's, that's an issue that's an issue or, or to sing a song like jesus had to be born again which is one of the beliefs that these these churches hold that's an issue yeah that's definitely right. an issue but to say you have no rival you have no equal death cannot hold you there's no there's no issue in that there, yeah. and so i i stand by examining the work rather than the man mm-hmm. and so yeah. take yeah. take the song and hear it embrace anytime that we do a new song we we take that song we we look at the phrases and we say what in scripture backs this and we want to find at least three uh passages of scripture that i can say this this song is backed by scripture mm-hmm. by at least these three passages mm-hmm. and so if you can take the song i, I don't really it doesn't really matter who wrote it Mm-hmm. If you can take the song and say this is sound in scripture, then it doesn't really matter who wrote it. In fact, the matter is your congregation probably isn't going to know who wrote it. They're not going to care who wrote it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. B- because because music has such a license to be interpreted by the person listening, in particular for Christian songs in which you would sing in a church setting, a congregation setting, to mean something to them in that specific moment, too. Mm-hmm. So so why is it that you can sing one song one Sunday and then sing the exact same song a month later and then you got two different perspectives? It may be because of the journey of life you're in. Right. It may be because of the difficult situation you find yourself in. One Sunday you may sing about the death, burial, and resurrection being for the forgiveness of your sin, and one Sunday you're you feel good about yourself and you know you're you're confessed up and everything's good, but three Sundays down the road you blew it that week and you've got this sin on your heart. Maybe you've confessed, but you're still feeling guilt and shame, and all of a sudden there's a weight there by the Holy Spirit, and you're moved to to grieve over that very fact that Christ had to die for your sin. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So the the Spirit of the Lord, I believe, couples himself with truth. And so that truth oftentimes affects us in different ways to rejoice and shout or to weep and cry or or to be moved in in bowing or to clap and shout, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think truth is what we're looking for in substance, not just a style or even, wait a minute, 
you know, Mother Teresa said that, so I can't because I'm not Catholic. Right. So, to, to answer culture's difficult question with the Bible, I think that there are a lot of scriptural proofs that teach us that, um, for example, Balaam's donkey, right. you know, uh, we, 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 we take that message and we say the donkey was right, but he's still a donkey. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, even in the Old Testament, it talks about God giving lying spirits unto certain prophets. Mm-hmm. What does that do to your theology? Right. Um, so if, if God is able to do that, then God can use a song that comes from a source that you disagree with. As far as Bethel, you know, elevation or hill song, or you could throw that into a million other different resources. Honestly, it's not just that. Embrace Church has written songs. Right. You've written songs, and other people on the praise team has written songs. Would other churches feel comfortable singing songs that we've written, depending on what me, Greg, or Glenn, or any other preachers that are at this church would proclaim from the stage? Right. I would. I would hate for somebody to consider doing a song that I've written. And then examine every bad thing I've ever done and decide that way whether they're going to sing the song or not. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think there has to be a little bit broader of understanding. Now, now I do want to put into context Second John verse 9. I believe it's Second John. Y'all fact check me. Uh, but where it says that he that abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not the Father nor the Son. But he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. And so doctrine is very important. Um, Doctrine is the teaching of the apostles recorded in the word of God. Don't try to elevate or compare a song with the word of God. The word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down for us in the copy of Old New Testament, the Bible, that is inerrant, infallible, preserved. The grass of the fields, they fade away as the flowers do, but the word of God endures forever. If you write a song, it may be wonderful and it may propel us to do Christian things, but it is not inspired by God and it won't ever stand as true as Scripture does. Never. Never. Bethel Hill song, Charles Wesley, nobody. If it's not in the Bible, it is not inspired by God. Because if it was inspiration God breathed, then it would be in the Bible. Right. He would not have concluded the book. He would have said, wait a minute, Eli's going to write a song. I want that to be in here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think I think what we try to do in this big debate is, for some reason, elevate a song to the place of Scripture, and it's not going to happen because Scripture stands alone. Right. Absolutely. So um, allow poetry to be poetry. Allow there to be the freedom and license of singing the words and letting it resonate within the heart of the individual believer as they're led by the Holy Spirit. And if Bethel's going to teach courses on raising the dead or you can you can schedule a counseling session to where you'll be prophesied over <laughs> by demand, right. whatever. If Hillsong's going to have adulterous pastors, not like there hasn't been adulterous pastors in every other denomination on the planet. Right. 
or if or if um, Elevation Church is going to have preachers on stage that you disagree with, okay. But you you've got to determine the song um, based on the substance and not necessarily the person who's singing or the culture that it's coming from. And 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 I can put this in context if you're my age listening or older, Ray Bolts. You know who Ray Bolts is? Yeah. Yeah. So Ray Bolts wrote a song called Watch the Lamb. One of the most amazing songs ever written. And he sat down at his table with his family, his wife and his children, and said, hey, guys, I'm a homosexual. And he left Christianity. Right. So we're going to stop singing Watch the Lamb. No. So anyway. So just just make sure you balance your theology um, and, and your your uh, I shouldn't say theology. Make sure you balance your zeal with wisdom. That you that you have not only a passion but common sense along with it, or you'll wind up ruining an awful lot that could be actually an aid and help to you. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening today. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if we changed your mind, great. If we didn't, let us know. Our email's in the outro. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Unapologetic, a podcast of Embrace Ministries. We hope we have answered some of culture's difficult questions using the Bible, God's Word. Please help us get the word out about this new podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to call us at 601-469-2680, or you can email us at embrace.church at yahoo.com.